0: Well, day, everyone, uh, I'm Dave, lovely to see you uh, here tonight, and, and you're very welcome. Uh, as we finish off our summer series together, over the last four weeks, we've been looking at the question, what has Jesus caused in the world? What, what is it that Jesus uh, has brought about by what he said, what he did, uh, and so on? And the topic we're looking at tonight is on the screen, has Jesus caused oppression or freedom? And I'm thrilled to be speaking about this because it is such, such an important and relevant topic it introduces it gets straight to the core of a theme uh, which is um, right at the core of our society the theme of freedom freedom you see the thing is we all want freedom Freedom is is held up for many of us as, as one of the most integral things of what it is to even be a human being, what it is to live in a functional society. We live in a liberal democracy. And you'll notice that in many liberal democracies, in our constitutions, in our declarations, in our anthems, we always have the word free. We live under liberty, and that's another word for freedom, liberty, not tyranny. Freedom is an incredible thing that we're privileged to enjoy. However... Freedom is far more than politics or government, declarations on a piece of paper. Freedom is deeply personal, isn't it? We all want freedom in our lives, freedom in our relationships, in um, our opportunities, freedom in our studies, freedom in work, freedom with money. Freedom is something that's held out for many, many people indeed as the most important single thing for us to achieve in life that will bring about happiness. That if you want a happy life, a meaningful life, a purposeful life, what you need to do is find and hold on to freedom. Once you have that, everything else will come into place. So the key question that we need to get to the bottom of is, what is it? How do most people define the word freedom? And rather than answer that for you, what I want you to do, and I know you've just been chatting amongst you, just continue those conversations for a minute now, I want you to talk to each other about that word freedom how do most people you know define that word how would they how do you think that answer if you ask them what is freedom just talk about that for a minute and then we'll meet back in a minute and look what the bible says thanks Now, of course, uh, it's worth saying that many, many people have spoken about this topic uh, throughout the history of the world. Uh, many, many philosophers, it's not a new idea, it's not a new concept, many philosophers throughout human history have discussed it. Uh, and so I thought, I want um, to go to, to someone else who can define this, not just what freedom is, but what freedom does for us. And there's many places we could go to, of course, there's um, from Shakespeare to Sinatra, from Aristotle to Plato, to all, all types of people discuss freedom, but I thought, let's go to the voice the single most important voice which is to find a generation. Elsa from Frozen. <laughs> is anyone here a fellow sufferer who's had to watch Frozen? Now listen, listen, I did that in the morning, and everyone, all the parents are like, ha, oh, yes. I once made this joke to a crew around early 20s, and they looked at me like I just, you know, run over their cat. You know, they're like, what? This is more important to me than my parents. I want to say, if that's you, What's wrong with you? Seriously, this is, no, 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 it's a wonderful film. It is, it is a film. It's a film. Um, of course, the movie uh, Frozen is most famous of all for the song in the middle of it, which is called, Don't You Wish They Would Let It Go? Let It Go! Let It Go was the biggest song in 2014. 1.5 billion views on YouTube, won the Oscar for best song in a film in that very year. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Let It Go, in the middle of the film, is this moment where Elsa has this epiphany, this moment where um, she breaks free of the shackles around it. And I don't want to take this too seriously at all, but what I want to say is that I believe there's the crescendo, the bridge of Let It Go um, articulates for us the philosophy around freedom, which is most dominant in our culture, which, which um, echoes how most people you know, and probably you as well, would define the word freedom. Now, I could sing it from your heart, but I won't. I'll do it later if you'd like. However, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Now, check this. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Hold it up there. Now, don't answer, but in, I wonder how many of you define freedom, as most people would say it, as the ability to do whatever you want without restraint. Did you say something like that? That's how most people, of course, think of freedom, the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, without restraint, without um, anyone holding you back from doing it. And this is a perfect articulation, of course, of, of what that produces, of what it looks like. No right, no wrong, no rules. I'm free. Because, you see, freedom is not just doing what you want. Now, catch this. Freedom, as the way we think about it in our culture, is not just doing, it's being. Freedom is not just I'm free to do whatever I want, I'm free to be whoever I want. And the more authentically I discover who I am, the more authentically I discover who I was like truly meant to be, then I will be free. Then I will have the good life, the life that I'm looking for. You might hear it articulated in a whole bunch of different ways. Be true to yourself. Um, To thine own self be true. I did it my way, follow your heart. I've summarized the philosophy um, this way, though. Uh, uh, The meaning of life is to be free to be me. Free to be me, whoever you are. And when you find freedom, then you will find happiness. And as as I said, um, I wonder if that's close to what you came up with. For many people, this is put at the, the jewel of the crown of what it is to be a person. And if you don't have it, if you don't break free of the shackles of life, if you don't break free of the constraints of other people trying to oppress you and repress you and, and bog you down, you'll never have the life you're designed for. So what that means is very simple. This question matters, doesn't it? What Jesus says about it matters. Does Jesus bring oppression? Does he, does he repress and, and, and bog people down or... Does he bring freedom? And if so, how does he, and what does it mean for our lives? These are huge questions for us to answer. It's a big question, an important one for us to get to. Now, I've been thinking about it uh, for a couple of weeks, this this question. And I'm utterly convinced in my answer. But this is my answer, and I want you to try and think what you would say. But I've been thinking about this for a few weeks and and looking at the Scriptures and and talking to other people about it, and I'm utterly persuaded that the answer to this question is neither. 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 Now, don't, don't miss this. Jesus never, ever, ever causes oppression. Oppression is the opposite of freedom, the shackling, the bogging down of. That is not what he causes. Last week, we looked at religious freedom, religious, um, um, uh, what Jesus does to religion. Previous weeks, we've looked at war and peace, that kind of stuff. So, we're not going to spend too much time in that, except to say go check out those humans online. Jesus does not repress people. He does not repress societies. People might do it in Jesus' name, but he does not. Do it. No, no, no. But I also want to say, and this might shock you, Jesus does not cause freedom. Not if we define freedom as every single person you know does as the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, without restraint. If that's how we define freedom, mm -mm. Jesus does not cause that. So what, what does he cause well, what Jesus offers, what Jesus brings, what he causes, is a brand new definition of what freedom actually is. You see, Jesus disagrees that the concept of freedom being life without restraint is freedom at all. Jesus says that's actually oppression, not freedom. Jesus offers for us a new insight, a new perspective, a new definition of freedom, that once you catch it, Once you get it, once you see it, once you feel it, um, you can never understand freedom nor life itself the same way again. I promise you that. Once you understand how Jesus thinks about freedom, freedom for you, you can never look at your life the same. So what we're going to do tonight, I hope, is interesting, but uh, relatively um, straightforward. We're going to look at what Jesus says about freedom. How does he define it? And then we're going to look at why freedom as um, life without restraint doesn't work but why freedom the way Jesus offers does. And then speak about how we're going to sort of play that out in our own lives. Um, So first of all, how does Jesus define freedom? We're going to go to the Bible now. Now, we had the Bible reading from Romans chapter 8, but we're going to actually look at two parts of the Bible today, John chapter 8 and Romans chapter 8. And we're starting in John, I beg your pardon. So if you've got a Bible there, um, open up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at an interaction Jesus has. Now, the context is important here. We're going to look at an interaction Jesus has with a group of religious people. Religious people who like him, but they're not too sure. And maybe that's you tonight. People who are spiritual, but they're not quite sure about Jesus. That's very common. That might be you. And I want you to see how Jesus interacts with them. Now, this is what I want you to notice. Whether or not you've got a Bible in front of you as I read it to you, this is what I want you to notice. As I speak, pay attention to what Jesus says about Freedom. Can you do that? Pay attention to what Jesus says about freedom. Okay, Verse 31 is where we're going, John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? Jesus replied... Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Check this out. Two things for you to notice right in the center of that passage. What does Jesus say about freedom? Number one, Jesus is all about freedom. He is not an enemy of freedom. They're not... Diametrically opposed to each other. Jesus has not come to repress, oppress, to constrain, to restrain. Any of those words. Jesus has come. Look what he says. He's come to set people free for freedom. Jesus is all about freedom, and that is at the heart of the Christian faith. The heart of being a Christian is freedom. However, second thing to notice. Oi, you catch this? The definition Jesus provides for freedom is very, very, very different to how the world thinks of it. Remember, what's the world's definition of freedom? Do you remember? Whatever you want, be whoever you want without restraint. Free to be me. But what's Jesus's? Verse 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus' perspective on freedom is not be free to be me. Jesus' perspective on freedom is do whatever I tell you to do. Jesus' perspective on freedom is not, look within yourself. Jesus defines freedom as looking to him. And it's only when you look to him that you will discover the thing that men, a lot of us never want, but we need, truth. Ignorance is bliss, let me assure you. However, ultimately, it will devour you. Jesus offers truth. What does that mean? It means the real understanding of life, what life is actually about, the truth about life. That's what Jesus is offering. Now, here's two definitions I want you to hold on to, because these are the definitions that we're going to kind of subtitle tonight's talk with. Okay, Jesus says this, true freedom will never be found in being free to be me. True freedom will be found in living how you were made to be. Now, there's a distinction there. It's not about free to be me. Jesus offers that you were made for a different type of freedom, created for something by God, a freedom that you can only experience when you live in accordance to that way. So we're going to look at both of those things together. Firstly, why does being free to be me not work? Now, let me give you a trigger warning here. Jesus is about to answer this. He's already said it, but we're going to hit on it. But I want you to grasp hold of what we're about to see Jesus say. If Jesus said it today on television, we'd get him immediately banned. And people think of Jesus as the peace-loving guru or sort of ancient hippie. Now, whatever. But I'll say this. If that's your opinion, it just means you've never, ever looked at the words of Jesus. Now, he's peace-loving. He's not a hippie. But nonetheless, he's a straight-talking carpenter from the back end of nowhere. And he spits truth in the face of hypocrisy all the time. So, So why can't being free to be me produce the freedom that you want? Why is being true to yourself devouring yourself? The answer, it's all about who you really are. Look what Jesus says. Verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now let me define those. Sin sin is the rejection of God. Don't think rule-breaking, think relationship-breaking saying no to God, I want nothing to do with you. I might pretend, I might pat you on the head from a distance, but I don't want no relationship with you, no. That's what sin is. Jesus, more than anyone else in the whole Bible, check this, Jesus says that every single one of us is a sinner. Please trust me, this is not me up here on on a stage saying to you, you are sinners. I am the worst sinner I know. I have a front row view to my head. Oh, Madonna, you would not want... If I could crack this open, you wouldn't spit on me on fire. I have a front row seat to how broken I am. What about you? We are all sinners. We've all rejected God. We've all broken that relationship with God. Second word to understand, slavery. Jesus says you're a slave to sin. What's slavery? Don't think transatlantic slave trade, chains, boats. The point Jesus is making at the very core of slavery is that it's all about ownership. Do you feel that? Ownership. A slave is an owned person. They are a piece of property. What is Jesus saying about you right now? You are not a free person. You think the category of life is truly evil, really good, and I'm kind of coasting in the middle. Jesus says, that's not true. Who told you that? That's not true. You are enslaved. And you're enslaved to a very cruel slave master. You're enslaved to yourself. You have a sinful nature, which always makes you veer one way away from God towards yourself. You have a sinful nature which, which produces the tune that you dance to in life. It controls you, not the other way around. Now, of course, there's many examples of this I could give you, but the clearest one that I can offer is actually um, by going to a library or a book store, um, if they still exist. Go to those places. Now, when you go there, I want to invite you to go to the parenting section in preparation maybe, maybe not. You'll notice, and I've noticed, over the years, the parenting section has got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. People are obsessed with parenting. If only our parents were obsessed with parenting, right? Man, it's like they accidentally became parents. But now, everyone's obsessed with parenting. Oh well, it's not just books, podcasts, your mummy podcast. Oh my goodness, it just never ends, okay? Now, what do all these books have in common? They're how-to books, they're how-to books. How to raise your child to be an effective, loving, um, successful member of society. Version 1, 2, 3, 4, 4. Now, you've got millions of those types of books. You know what kind of book you never, ever, ever have? You never see it? How to make my child be more of a jerk. He's just not jerky enough. How to make my child more selfish. How to make my child more of a narcissistic, self-obsessed, more... Now, why don't we have those books? I've got six children. Let me tell you why. They don't need the help. And neither do you. You think you teach your children how to say no? You think you train your child and how to be a selfish jerk? It's sweating out of them all the time, man. And you know this for true. You know this to be true because it's the same for you, is it not? It's in us. We don't shape our children to be selfish and self-obsessed and rude, and, and yet they do it. That's why we spend so much effort trying to... Shape them a different way, and three-quarters of the time it doesn't work anyway. (laughs) Now, listen, let me let me offer to you why. The reason why is because by your nature you veer away from he and always towards me. By your nature, you veer away from we and always towards me. You have a sinful nature. And that is why. Now check this out. Because this is not just, this is not, I won't say just, this is not only what Jesus offers and says, this is evidenced by science, evidenced by human history. That is exactly why the pursuit of freedom in being true to yourself will never ever work. It never works. Has it worked? It does not work. It will never work. We can prove it. Take Australia. Think about our country. In the history of people who have ever lived, we are more privileged than 99.9% of them. Do you know that? We are far from a perfect country, And, and I don't want to make light of this. We do have oppression in this nation. And it's not a joke. It is sinful when it happens. Often. And and um, always, sorry, not often. Always. It's always sinful. It's bad. It needs to stop. But in comparison to the rest of the world and human history, my goodness. We have more access to education. We live longer. We're healthier. We're wealthier. We've all got indoor toilets, for one. We're at the very top of the tree. When it comes to oppression and freedom, Well, unless your parents prevent you, if you want to cut your hair, grow your hair, change your hair color, move to Perth, Move to Melbourne, do anything ridiculous like that. If you want to change your jobs, get married, get divorced, what law is there stopping you? None. You have absolute autonomy of action in your life. You have freedom, more freedom than 99% of the people who've ever lived in this world could ever dream about. Now, what does that mean? What this means is very simple. We should be the happiest people on earth. Not just that, we should be the happiest people who've ever lived. Do you understand that? If freedom equals happiness, freedom equals satisfaction, contentment, we should be the happiest people who've ever lived. Does that articulate your life? Does that is that a picture what I've just said of how your life is? Is that a picture of how the life is of the people that you know? My dear friends, listen, listen you know that's not true. We don't just lead the world in privilege we lead the world in pain. We have one of the highest levels of anxiety and depression in the world. Per capita, one of the highest, highest um, uh, intakers of, of anti-anxiety, anti-depressive medication. 70% of current university and TAFE students indicate they are experiencing extreme levels of stress. In a survey about the most serious long-term health conditions per age bracket, 0 to 14, asthma. 65 till death, arthritis. What's 14 to 64? What's that? Mental health. Mental illness, and so we have this this paradox at play, and you must feel it. You can la 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 la. I don't care. No no no. You must explain this some way or the other. This paradox at play in our culture: the greatest freedom ever has led to the greatest misery. That's your world. That's mine. That's your neighbours. That's you. That's me. Why? Because freedom is defined as doing whatever you want, whenever you want, does not lead to freedom as you want. It leads to oppression. It leads to oppression under a cruel slave master, yourself. A cruel slave master you can never break free from because how can you escape from the prison that is inside your own mind? And that's the reality for a lot of you. It's been mine before. That's How can you escape from the prison that you live with constantly? However... Now, don't miss this bit. Jesus does offer a different definition of freedom. And this might be new news to you. It might be old news to you. Whatever it is, I promise you, it's good news for all of you. Jesus Jesus offers a new perspective on life and on freedom. A new perspective which changes everything. No, freedom will not be found in being free to be me. Where will it be found? Well, check out John chapter 8 again. Jesus does something here which is astonishing when you notice it. He compares and contrasts slavery with sonship. Now, sonship, it's just an old-school way of saying uh, child. It's not about a male child. It's just the way they used to speak in 2,000 years ago. This means son and daughter, okay? Every time, just son and daughter. Listen to the comparison Jesus makes. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying that you were created for something bigger and better than fake freedom. Just pure selfishness, dressed up in a tuxedo. Be true to yourself. No, be selfish. He says, there's something more profoundly at play, more profound at play in your life than be free to be me. It is to be free to who you were made to be. So what is Jesus saying you were made to be? He's offering that he has come to set you free from slavery from slavery and for sonship now daughtership childship now jump over to romans chapter 8 that reading that lauren gave to us before romans chapter 8 um and oh, i want to i want to uh, tell you this you might know nothing about the bible um what we're about to read is considered to be the peak of the everest of the bible Okay, the very top. That what we're about to read has been what the rest of the Bible up until this point has been leading towards. Building over thousands of years across three different continents and myriad of languages and you know, tens of authors, it has been leading to this point. What we're about to read, the people in the Old Testament couldn't, before Jesus, they couldn't dream of what we, it's an astonishing truth about the very meaning of your life. What we're about to read is the Bible's answer as to why you're here. So check it out. Don't miss it. Why does God say you're here? Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. When someone becomes a Christian, what we read reading says, the Spirit of Jesus, and that's the Holy Spirit, enters into their life, their heart, and sets them free from captivity sets them free from slavery, slavery to sin, and sets them free for adoption to being a child of God. Now, what's adoption? That's when you bring someone who is not by natural birth into a family and give them all the privileges of the child with natural birth. So, what is the meaning of your life according to the Bible? First time here? Check this out. What is God's reason for your life? The meaning of your life. The meaning of your life is to have a loving relationship with God as your Father. You were made for God. You were made by Him and for Him. And that is why nothing else in this world will ever satisfy you, because You were created to only find the satisfaction that you need in a loving relationship with God. You were made to call God, Dad. Not to be a slave to your sin, but to be set free from sinfulness. Set free from the consequences of your sin and instead know God as Father. Now let me ask you, who is underwhelmed by that? Don't put your hand up, but you can do it imaginally. Which of you, is anyone here who hears and goes, well... So you're saying, what... The meaning of my life is that I get to call God, Dad. Terrific. Can you give me a car? What about a girlfriend? That'd be nice. God as Dad. Ter- that's lovely. Thank you so much. But what is he going to give me? Is it really that big a deal? Check this out. It is a bigger deal than you can possibly imagine. But here's the thing. You will never grasp hold of the true magnificence, the true enormity of what we've just read. And by the way, what we've just read is the very fact upon which you may build your entire life that can shape and transform your life more than any other. It's the high point of the Christian faith, but you will never truly understand it unless you understand the reality of your current spiritual condition. Let me put it this way. You will never understand the reality of the gloriousness of what God promises for your future until you understand the depravity, the dire desperation of your current condition before God, unless you know what's happening now And as you truly see what's happening now, you'll never know what is coming as as good as it truly is. What does it mean to be enslaved to sin? What does it mean? What are the consequences? Well, we've looked at a few of them. It means you're never going to be able to find the, the satisfaction you're looking for, the contentment you're looking for. It will lead to misery, selfishness. You end up in a carousel, a merry-go-round of life. Up and down, up and down, around and around, round and around. But where do you get off? Exact same place you got on. You don't move forward in an inch. Just treading water throughout life. Those are the consequences of being a slave to sin. But they're not the worst consequences. Come back to John 8. John 8. Jesus gives us a hint of it here. Verse 34. Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We got that. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But now, listen. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. What is your relationship with God before you were a Christian? Are you ready? It's a quick answer. You do not have one. The reality of your spiritual condition before God, that the major consequence of being enslaved to sin is not a miserable life. It's that you do not know God, and God is not your Father. You know, it's, it's very common, particularly at funerals, um, to, to come across the idea of a, um, a, a spiritual optimism, optimism, uh, and a lot of it is based around the idea of a universal fatherhood of God, that we're all children of God, just trying our best. We're just giving it a crack. We're all having a go, and we're, all, all of us can call God Father. I've had a friend pass recently, and he had no interest in God whatsoever. No interest in God whatsoever. No interest at all. Um, and you was speaking to his mother on the phone about his passing, um, what did she say to me? Oh, well, um, he's with the big fella now. He's with the old mate in the sky. He'll look after him. Make sure your, your God looks after him. And of course, I couldn't say, but inside my head, what am I thinking? Why do you think? My dear friend has spent his entire life ignoring God, rejecting God. He did not know God. He does not know God. And unless he was converted in his last moments on earth, he died not knowing God. God is not the father of all mankind. Why do you think that? Jesus never says that. Our true condition in life outside of God, outside of Jesus Christ, is slaves, enslaved. And worse still, when you die, as you will, you will stand before God guilty of sin. It's not about you being worse than me or better than me as I said I'm worse than you don't worry about that it's not a competition you win or I win whichever way trust me it's not about being good or bad at this point sin is not about the breaking of rules it's about the breaking of relationship you'll be judged according to that you will be found guilty and you will not be don't miss you will not be able to call upon the mercy of your father because he is not your father that is the reality the bible presents for you if you're not in Christ god is not your father So what do we have? Our spiritual condition is dire beyond belief. You know, around, um, oh, gee, it's 30 years ago, uh, in the early 1990s, um, there was what was called uh, the Iron Curtain. The Soviet Union, Russia, and all these countries, they were communist. It all collapsed. The Berlin Wall came falling down. Uh, And then a lot of these countries in Eastern Europe, Uh, became democratic kind of Uh, but there was this new period but for 50 years there'd been silence it's like North Korea at the moment you know you can't go in to find out that's what it was like so after uh, the walls came down and the iron curtain broke and all that sort of stuff um, finally journalists and people were able to go into some of these countries and some journalists a group of journalists got a whiff of a story in Romania what we're going to talk what I'm going to mention to you now is, is it is distressing they got a they got whisper of, of a story in Romania. And so a whole bunch of them went, um, went there to find out if it's true. And what they discovered was that it, it absolutely was true. Here's what it was. Due to impoverishment and um, corruption and uh, uh, um, just poverty, um, there was 500,000 Romanian orphans Um, in Romanian orphanages. Now, just so you know, uh, Australia doesn't have 500 orphans in that sort of situation in orphanages. There's not 500,000 orphans in state care. Most of them had been abandoned by their parents because they couldn't afford to look after them. But some of them were genuine orphans. And so these journalists, so they went to, to some of these orphanages, um, and I'm about to read to you what one of them wrote when he got there, but this is what he saw when he got in there. Imagine walking into a room as big as this, okay, and it's filled, it's filled with cots, you know, like beds for babies. okay? So walking in a room like this, full with cots, I want you to listen to um, what the British journalist uh, who went and saw it reports. This is what he said. The children lay in cots, sometimes two to each cot, sometimes three, their eyes staring. There was no play, no comfort, no books, toys or paintings in the room. Usually when you enter a room packed with cots filled with children, the expectation is of noise, chatter or crying. However, what greeted us was complete and utter silence. Even though the children were awake. Why? Because these babies had learned that their cries were not responded to. What was it these orphans needed the most love? They needed love. Its absence had devastating consequences on them. My dear friends, do you understand? This is us with one integral, one enormous difference. These babies did not choose their condition. It was thrust upon them. But you and I, we have chosen to reject God, chosen to say no to his relationship, chosen to turn our backs on him, chosen to abandon his love, chosen to ignore the way that he says to live our lives. We are the ones who have put ourselves into a situation. We are desperately alone, desperately yearning for something deeper. We can be surrounded by people and yet, as alone as ever, We can be seeking satisfaction and contentment in all manners of life and yet no matter what we do it's never enough. You experience that, you always got to find something new, something new, something new, something new because it's never enough. It's like drinking salt water. It actually makes you thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. On our own, our situation is completely and utterly helpless. What can we do? Nothing. Nothing. All we have is one And if you've zoned out the rest of this, please pay attention to this one hope we all have. What is the one hope we have? Here it is. The one hope we have is that the very same God who we have all spent an entire lifetime rejecting and turning away from would reach out and do for us what we are unable and unwilling to do for ourselves. That is our only hope. And that is exactly what God did. God sent Jesus to earth, not to be a wise man, teacher, guru, not to be a prophet, not to be someone you model your life on. I oh, do all those things, terrific, but no, no, no. The key part of Jesus' life was death. Jesus gave up eternal freedom for oppression. He willingly walked towards oppression. What oppression? Death. Jesus was killed at a cross, crucified. But it wasn't an accident. It was at the will of his Father. Do you see that? Why? Because on the cross, Jesus paid the debt that you never could. He acted as your substitute Taking your sin, your rejection of God and the punishment that it was brought upon from his own father. He paid your debt so so you can be forgiven. So the sin that has been on your soul your entire life can be wiped clean. You can be saved, redeemed, rescued, but far even greater than those things, those incredible truths. You can be brought into the household and the family of God. You can come into God's presence. And there he has a table and he has a seat for you. What do masters call their slaves? Property. What do fathers call their children? Family. What do masters give their slaves? Nothing. What do fathers give their children? Everything. You can be adopted into God's family. My friends, that is Christianity. That's at the center of the Christian faith. That's the high point of what it means to be a Christian. A scumbag like me gets to call God Dad. And so's a scumbag like you. We can get to call God Father. Now, if you're not a Christian here tonight, or if you're not sure if you're a Christian or not, I think there's three responses, three ways of responding to all this information that I think are most likely. Number one, you can deny it and reject it completely. Now, if that is you here tonight, I just want to say to you, we love you. We are so thrilled that you're here. It is awesome that you've come along. Please don't stop coming. Uh, uh, you, you've got postcards for life on your chair. Please come along to Dan. Keep asking questions of the Christian faith. Keep reading the Bible. Don't take my word for it. Look into it. Ask questions. Keep considering these things. Please, please. The second reaction, and this is very common, I think is for people to hear it, to agree to it, say, yeah, I think that sounds true. My condition is hopeless. Yes, that makes sense. Ah, I know what to do. I'll sort my life out. I'm going to fix my life up. I'm going to become more religious. I'm going to polish my life. I'm going to put lipstick on the pig of my life. You know, I'm going to make it look better. I'm going to do religious things. I'm going to do this and this and this, and then God will accept me. My dear friends, that is nothing more than spiritual oppression. That is nothing more than being free to be me religiously. It will not save you. It will not justify you before God. But there is a third response. What is it? The third response is to know, and maybe this is you tonight, deep in your heart. Maybe it's a feeling you've known for years. Maybe it's a new one, whatever. But to know that your condition before God is hopeless and helpless. That there is nothing you can do to help yourself. You have no hope based on your own righteousness or performance. That all you can do is throw yourself at the feet of God and cry out for mercy. But, but you know that you can do so because God has made it possible. That Jesus died and rose from the dead to make it possible. And he is offering you eternal life today. It might be possible that tonight... You become a Christian. You put your trust in what Jesus has done and enter into the household of God. Now, How do you do that? Well, what I'm going to do now to close our time together is I'm going to pray. It's not magical. It's not a spell. It's nothing like that. It's ordinary people. An ordinary prayer, but talking to our great God, the Father in heaven, who loves to hear from us. And I want to say to you tonight, no matter who you are, no matter how many times you come, whatever it is, no matter what other people think of you, If you want to become a Christian tonight, if you know Jesus has died for you, you know why he did it, you want God as your father, you know what it means, I want to invite you tonight to pray along with this inside your own head, inside your own heart, and put your trust in Jesus. Become a Christian tonight. Stop putting it off. Become a Christian. So i ask everyone here to bow your heads. You're not going to have to do anything, stand up, nothing like that, but just bow your heads and silently, if you'd like to do that, please pray along with me inside your head. Let me pray. Dear God, I recognize that you are God. You have the right to control my life, but I have rebelled against you. I am a sinner. I'm sorry I've done this and I ask you to forgive me. Please forgive me, God. I know that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that I deserve. I know that by trusting in him, I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. As best as I can, I will turn away from rebellion and follow Jesus as my king. Please come into my life and take complete control of it, my dear Father in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, my friends, the Bible tells us very clearly.